Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 149, The Great Gatsby. Today, we're going back to high school or college to discuss that infamous book that at some point you had to read, we're told you should read, and maybe you actually did read, or at least the <laughs> cliff notes. It is time for Literary Disco to take on The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We're Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hey. Hi. Nice to see you guys again. Did it's you miss us? Yeah, we had two ep. I totally uh, missed. We had two episodes where I yeah. only got to work with one of you. <laughs> <laughs> there were many of you that I I missed. Yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure, I missed you. Well, while you were away, we had to discuss the one subject you know nothing about, which is going outside. Oh, I thought it was going to be Moby stuff. Dick. <laughs> no, we did not. Oh, no. If we ever do, do Moby that. Dick, you're going to have to read that fucker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're going to make you read it at some point. Maybe that'll be like the episode 200 will just be Todd reads Moby Dick. <laughs> finally. I can't pretend I'm anymore. I'm down for it. I'm ready to read Moby Dick at this any given time. This book is becoming your white whale. It's incredible. Oh, wow. Full circle. <laughs> the most unusual metaphor in that it's actually true. Well, this this time, so last re- time that you weren't on the show, it's because you were, you, you said you were, quote, sick, but yeah. we didn't really, like, you've been sick for, like, three years. You've had a head cold for, like, three years. Yeah, I have a child in daycare. Ah. I was going to say, that's, that's just being it? a parent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I I was thinking about Dante's Inferno earlier today and how I always imagined hell being like, you know, sudden, intense pain, like getting stabbed or being on fire. But I actually think (laughs) hell is like a low level daycare sickness forever. (laughs) Just like that awful tickle in the throat and like low level energy that you can't get over. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. I'm That's... sick now. I'm sick. A totally different thing than when I had to cancel. But today I rallied for you guys. <laughs> See, I, I don't believe you're sick. I believe this is just how you are now. Just you know, slightly... both can be true. Both can be true. It's just slightly ill at all times. <laughs> yep. All right, Todd, but you weren't sick. That's, you missed last episode because you were doing your residency. Yes. So tell us how that went. Oh, it was great. So I, I was at my uh, MFA residency. So we have a residency every December and every June. And so this was, uh, if you're listening in five years from now, this was in June. Um, <laughs> and uh, we had, it was great. Um, so I got to do something that I was super excited about. Well, I, I always get to do things I'm super excited about because that's the nature of being Todd. Uh, I just spoke to myself in third person, so that was cool. Um, which is that <laughs> you, writer, got me addicted to the Amazon Prime show, Patriot. And Which every one of our listeners should stop doing whatever they're doing right now, like listening to this show yeah. and go watch right. Patriot. Get us. Amazing. So... So I'm I'm an obsessive Patriot fan now. I've I've watched both seasons like five times, and the, I have the yeah. soundtracks. I listen to the soundtracks. I mean, it's just it's <laughs> it's starting to get weird, frankly. I'm like in the Reddit yeah. groups, like <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 deep in. Um, 
And so I saw my friend Carrie at the LA Times Festival of Books, actually. And I happened to know that Carrie um, used to be Kurtwood Smith's uh, assistant many years ago. Um, and I was like, oh, my gosh, if you see Kurtwood, let him know I'm a huge fan of Patriot. And she was like, would you ever want him like to come out to a residency? And I was like, yes, I would. Yes, I would like mm. Kurtwood Smith to come out to a residency. And I said, what about Steve Conrad, the showrunner? Do you think he would come out? And she's like, oh, for sure. He would love to. And, and at that point, my entire life fell into a pinhole. And all I could think from that point forward was, I'm going to have the guy who runs Patreon on my, on my MFA program. We're going to become best friends. We're going to become really yeah. close. Did you become best friends? He was very nice. I, I have <laughs> That's his. A no. That's a hard I don't no. know if we're best friends. I'd say we have a, a nice friendship. He's very kind. Uh, I have his. I have. I have his phone number. We can text. Um, Kurtwood, though, played a lot of pool in my guest room, a uh, very large guest room. Um, he, but they were both great. They were both absolutely fantastic. And Steve. So I interviewed Steve and Kurtwood on stage in front of all of our students, um, and that was awesome. Um, well, you know, we should maybe explain a little bit. So Patriot is is a spy show. I don't think we've actually talked Have about we it on the show. We've talked it? about it off. No, I don't think so. So I just want to make sure people. It's a it's a show that it's it's I, it's a spy show, but it's very funny. And um, the 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 main character is basically like James Bond, like an American James Bond but like the reality of how much it would actually suck right. to have to put your body and your life on the line constantly. And all he really wants to do is be a folk singer. So the show is this really tired, put upon, amazing spy in Europe, uh, constantly writing songs. So you have this soundtrack of him writing these folk songs, but the folk songs are about having to murder people or get a hold of right. guns or whatever it is he has to do as a spy. And it is genius. It's unlike any TV show I've ever seen before. And, Unfortunately, it's 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 been canceled after two seasons, right? It ran. It for was two canceled. Seasons, which is I it canceled? I think it's over. I, maybe they'll bring it back, but God, I mean, it, I it, I know it has somewhat of a cult following because I keep bringing it up to everybody. I'm going to give it its own. It cult wasn't following. canceled as of two weeks ago when I saw them there. Like okay. he he was he told Good. me he was meeting with Amazon shortly to find out sort of the fate for season three because he's also oh. running um, another show called per Perpetual Grace Limited, which is on. Um, epics and has many of the same actors that appear in Patriot, um, but is not you know related to the show. Um, so like he's it's not unlike sort of like what David Simon has done with all of his shows. It's like he's gathered a bunch of Steve Conrad players essentially, and he's putting them into all of his shows. Um, you know that he does. But when I saw him, so this was um, I saw him on like June tenth or something like that. The show was had not yet been canceled so i hope it hasn't been canceled but the oh, the God. amazing thing about the show and, and we'll we'll put up a clip actually because it's so cool um on our facebook page is they they do stuff on the show that you just don't see in television which is they will have single shot no cut scenes that last six to ten minutes there is there's mm -hmm. there's two amazing well there's more than two but there's a specific one in season one where uh, the main character, the spy, John, plays rock, paper, scissors with a murder cop from Luxembourg. And he plays it with her for three minutes and yeah. they don't speak. <laughs> and it's absolutely fucking amazing. 
You've not seen this, Julia? You haven't watched it? No, I haven't. I got to put it on my list. Yes. I mean, it's... And the songs are really good. And not not just good in the way that Ryder and I like super sad songs about people in super sad situations. Yeah, Um, I don't totally trust you on this, but (laughs) I will give it a shot. There's a great song that takes place over six minutes in season two of a single shot that I found out was done guerrilla style, which is amazing. Um, where a guy gets on a train, the train comes into a station. He walks out of the train station. He walks across Paris into a room, steals something, gets his hand shot off, walks back under train with his friends. And a song is playing the entire time and there's no cuts. It's absolutely amazing. Cool. Uh, yeah. And uh, Stephen Conrad, the second season really hits it. Yeah. The first season, it's a little uneven because you're like, because the tone is so weird. But by the second season, the show is so. Stephen Conrad wrote and directed every episode, and it feels like a singular vision. Cool. It, the tone yeah. finally like snaps into place, and I, I think the second season of Patriot is one of my favorite. I mean, it's it's like that and. Um, and the show Atlanta are the two TV shows that I keep going back and like I'll actually watch episodes over and over again because they're so good. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's pretty amazing. As soon as I'm done with Chernobyl and oh that my God. pit of despair, Oof. I'll move right on to this humorous pit of despair. I tried to watch Chernobyl. <laughs> I watched the first episode yeah. and it gave me such profound anxiety. I couldn't watch it. <laughs> I honestly yep. I made it I made it to three episodes in and I can't finish it. I'm like I, I, Alex and I sit down to watch TV at night and I'm like I don't want to be I don't want to feel this way anymore. I know. I don't want to feel this way. <laughs> I, I can't do I it. I watched about half an hour of the first one alone like for funsies on my night off and then I was like <laughs> I just it's not like horror where you're like, I'm scared. I was just like, I don't want to think about this. Right. And then Greg and I were like, let's watch this together. <laughs> First of all, I found out he knows way more about nuclear radiation than I think any civilian should know. I'm stunned like, oh, to learn this. Happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And he doesn't know the historical stuff. He's like, oh, this is how it works. This is how the half-life would work. If it, And he's saying this like throughout the show. It's like, you know, if, uh, oh if New York had got had this kind of accident, it would reach us in this amount of time. I was like, okay, let's okay. relax here. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. <laughs> but then we, we kept watching it because I was like, there's no way it could possibly get worse than the first episode. And it sure does. So <laughs> I'm going to finish it. I'm going to finish it. Um, I was watching it. Um, I watched it a couple nights ago. I started to watch it. And I think I tweeted something about, oh, I, I was like, don't watch Chernobyl if you have like a really easy gag reflex, which I do, because it's it's like an hour of people vomiting blood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to throw up on the dog. I Like, this is not, this is not appointment TV watching if I feel like I'm going to throw up on the dog. But it is, it is the like, don't look away. This happened yeah. recently. We should all understand what happened. Um, it is really good. It's just, you know, it's so a lot. Yeah. It's and a lot. I couldn't, um, and, and I swear we'll get to the, the book shortly, but I couldn't believe that the guy who'd written it, like he wrote like Hangover 2 or something, right? Yeah. Craig, Craig Mason. Mason. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know he, he's been around for a while, though. He's He, he does the, the Script Notes right. podcast, which is a great podcast for anybody interested in screenwriting, him and John August. I think that's really what got him more attention is doing that podcast. He's finally... Both he and John August, I think, really are finally getting some of the credit they deserve as writers to to branch out and do. I mean, he's he worked like years on this. Right. Thing. I think he spent like five years researching Chernobyl just to write this. It's pretty. Amazing. Well, and the thing also, like the the main way that I know him 
his name was that he had been Ted Cruz's college roommate. And so he spent all of twenty six right. all of twenty sixteen talking shit to Ted Cruz That's the on same the internet. Guy. Wow. Yeah. Did Can you imagine? That? <laughs> like no wonder he can write about Chernobyl. He lived with Ted Cruz. I mean, I remember all those <laughs> tweets. I just watch TV like a regular person. I don't look at any of the names attached. I just like, <laughs> play and then I read twenty think pieces about it and look it up on Wikipedia. The end. Yep. <laughs> How nice that must be. <laughs> Just so you guys know, all the work and art you put in, that's how it's experienced on the other side. But see, if I didn't look up people, <laughs> then I wouldn't know who to obsess about and invite to my residency so I could force them to become friends with me. That's a you problem, yeah. not a that regular a person pro- problem. <laughs> the end result, though, was that I had a great residency. It's, it's always super cool to, to go to residency. Um, and the guys from Patriot were awesome. But here was the really cool thing about uh, Steve Conrad is he um, he was a real great I mean, he's a great advocate for the students because he said, like, look, you're in a time now where you don't have to take stupid shit notes from a terrible network executive. Like you can find the place that cares about you as a creator and not cares about you just as, um, you know, some place that's going to generate tons and tons of money. I'm paraphrasing him, but he was really like, you know, if you're going to be a screenwriter, also learn how to be a director. Like, you know, get get your vision and and be able to actually be the person that does it. Make yourself indispensable because it used to be that the actor was indispensable, but now it's the showrunner that's indispensable. Um, I don't know if you agree with that, writer, but it, no, it seems to I... be more and more true. Yeah, well, especially now that we with the way that you know networks don't really exist you know right and now it's just it's really just about the content creators and when, when we're dealing with a tv show that's going to be the showrunner um you know the head writer and the showrunner is really going to be the defining voice of, of a show um especially on all these streaming services where you know i mean there's so many there's so much content out there um that even having a hugely famous actor in your show doesn't necessarily get it attention you know it, it really um, right it really needs to find its audience um, by having a unique voice um, and standing on its own. And that that's why Chernobyl, for instance, though, is so, so compelling in an artistic way because there's there's no one you've ever seen before in it. There's no one recognizable. Except for the Mad Men. Well, what's his name for a Mad Men guy who's amazing? Yeah, yeah but that's the one guy. <laughs> Everyone oh, no, else. Em- Emily, what's her name? Um, it's, 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 she's so unknown. The Emma's, the us Emma's or Emily? <laughs> Shit! What's was it? Punch drunk love woman. What's your name? Uh, yep, I'm. Yeah, my point. you know who I'm. Mean. <laughs> All right. I Greg was like. Let's, so as let's I'm actually like, talk about this. Is not television disco. This is literary <laughs> disco. Let's let's get on to uh, this uh, classic of American literature okay. that needs barely an introduction, probably no introduction. I have written no introduction uh, because everyone knows what The Great Gatsby is. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, first published in 1926, I believe, and um, really was not a hit until the 50s or 60s um, when the sort of F. Scott Fitzgerald revival happened after his death. And... Um, now it's assigned everywhere. Uh, when did you guys first read this book, and uh, how was it rereading it? Whoa! Um, I first read it in high school. I think I read it in uh, sophomore year. I want to say, um, mm-hmm. and I've read it. I, I I've probably read it five times. Yeah. Uh, in my life, this this last time was the first time in a while. Um, 
and I read it quickly this last time because it turns out I already knew what happened. Um, <laughs> but I've always loved this book. I've, I've always loved this book. But the nice thing about reading it this time was I, I read it free of thinking of symbolism. You know, this is the mm-hmm. sort of the, this is the curse of The Great Gatsby is that because <laughs> it is our textbook for learning how to read um, critically, right. essentially, when you're 15 or 16 years old, it stops being just a novel and it's it's the textbook for to look for like motif um and all this other crap and and you know right. all the symbols of everything but this time i just read it as a as a novel and it's just i mean it's it's it takes you two hours to read it it's a really fast read um i i still love it I, but I, i've got some i've got some interesting thoughts about it as it relates to where it fits in the canon of american literature because i think um yeah, you I have think it's an agenda. Great, but I also think it's a crime novel. But go ahead, Julie. Yeah, I was just gonna say you have an agenda today. You've already told us about. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't remember the first time I've read that read this book. Like Todd, I know that I've read it many times, um, and I'm sure that I told this story on this podcast at some point. But the last because this story I'm sure will be told at my funeral or Greg's funeral. Um, there was this <laughs> wow. one. Okay, so way back in 2013, when the Leonardo DiCaprio movie was going to come out, um, I really wanted, or I, I said I didn't want to see it, but then I suddenly decided the morning that it was coming out that I wanted to see it. So, and I wanted Greg to go with me, but he hadn't read the book, and I was like, well, obviously this movie's going to be trash, so you have to experience the book first. So I recently, the production Gats, which is the, um, this, it was this incredible production in New York where they did it as a play, but they read the whole, like every word of the novel. And I knew that it Ah. had to be like a length of time that was manageable. So I actually followed Greg around for an entire day reading from the paperback book out loud, um, until the movie started. And I fucking read every word of that book out loud. Um, like he did laundry, <laughs> we went for a walk, wow. and we sat on our roof, we ate dinner, and it was just me reading out loud. And it was, it ended up being the How most cool. fun day like of our relationship because for him it was a day in complete silence, and for me it was like this vocal marathon. Um, <laughs> and That's so cool. It was so cool because we ran out of time right at the end of uh I think chapter 7 which is the car accident. So it was like Right. We we got to the climax, well, one of the climaxes, and then we went and saw the movie. So then he experienced the end of so there was still suspense for the movie. And then we went right. into our favorite Irish pub and I read him the last um chapter or two and I just remember like reading that last absolutely incredible page and him just like silently crying <laughs> after his <laughs> day of having this like spewed at him but um it was so much fun and so powerful um to read it out loud and then to see this movie which i actually just started rewatching today um in preparation for this and i'm like oh this movie was both pretty bad and also like very true to the book at the same time so Anyway, I've experienced Gatsby a lot, a lot of different ways, and I really love it. It's a, I mean, I'll say one more thing. It's the book. I have a lot of jock broy friends, to my surprise, and it's the book, <laughs> the one book that they're like, you know what book was actually good? The Great Gatsby. <laughs> it's the word actually yeah. that does it. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually good. And 
Yeah. My, my theory on that is like, and I'm sure we'll get way into this, is the plot, the crime novel, the characters are all interesting. But really, it's the writing. And it's like no one in America can escape how good this writing is. It's so right. perfect That's true. Yeah. that they can say like, oh, that Tom's an asshole. But there's really these sentences that are just transporting you. Perfect. I've been trying to write yeah. the scene where Nick runs into Tom at the end of the book my entire career. <laughs> <laughs> like every time I have two men who hate each other, find each other somewhere strange. I'm trying to write that scene. Uh, Ryder, how about you? How, What's your history yeah. with this? Um, I read it in college. I read it in college just once. Uh, I never read it in high school. Um, so it wasn't until my freshman year of college, I took a modern novel course. Um, so I read it, you know, in the context of, you know, early 20th century novels. And uh, I, I, I it, it always made a lasting impression. But, um, uh, you know, in the context of a, of a class where you're reading Faulkner for the first time and I, James Joyce for the first time and Rudyard Kipling and like it was, you know, such an amazing class full of so many great books uh, that it really this I have not been having a great week and sitting down to read so to read this book. I started yesterday and read it, you know, in, in like two sittings. I read it yesterday and then this morning. Um, I just can't get over how good it is. Mm. It's so, so good. it's so good. I mean, and I it ha it has all the things that I remember, like the sort of, you know, the themes and the 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 meaning that I remembered. I like I, I didn't get anything really new from from the book as far as like what it's about, but I got so much from the book as far as how well it's written, exactly mm -hmm. like you guys are saying. And a lot of that too, for me, just to add on to what you guys are saying, I, mean, I agree with everything, but the only, I would also say it's brevity is such a strength. Oh, the yeah. fact yes. that you can experience it in one day of reading, or in my case, two days of reading is part of why it's so pleasurable. There's just not yeah. a, there's not a wasted sentence. There's not, it feels, <laughs> Like just the right amount of experience to be like, this tells me everything I need to know about these people's entire lives. And you're really only talking about three months of their life. Uh, but it's just perfect. It's just a perfect mm -hmm. amount of time, the reading experience and the, the the chunk of their lives that it takes. It's just, I've never seen anything so flawlessly. Um, and then to that same point, the way he goes from, you know, he talks about like, oh, also, you know, there's at one point where Nick, the, the narrator is like, this isn't the only thing that was going on in my life. Right. I also was seeing yes. this girl. I was doing this job. But but like, it doesn't matter. It, it, the, the book is so expert at like deciding what needs to be um, seen and what needs to be just sort of passed over. And like that ability, I, I, I've just never read a book that, that does that better. You know, like every book has a moment where I'm like, okay, you could have cut this out or right. okay, you could have expanded that. But this is perfect. It's literally the perfect great American novel it's yeah just, it's, the thing is it's effortlessly metaphorical so yeah. what mm -hmm. would take what would take any other writer pages and pages and pages to set up the subtext of a narrative voice or the subtext of dialogue Fitzgerald does it in a single line so yeah. when you get to the end of the book and you get that great so we beat on boats against the current which could feel like purple prose if someone else wrote it at this point after reading you know 185 pages or whatever it is it's it's barely 50,000 words that sort of language becomes a character itself and you you don't feel pulled out by these sort of grandiose statements like that it, it is yeah. the 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 effortless metaphorical voice of Fitzgerald which probably took a fuck of a lot of work <laughs> like the, I don't know how much cutting he did while he was writing this and i'm sure that there's 
plenty of scholarship that could tell me, but I don't, I don't even really want to know. I just like reading it and, and experiencing it as it is, you know, 50,000 super taught words, sentences that each and every one means something. You just don't see that in, in writing. Well, apparently, I mean, Maxwell Perkins was his, his editor, right. the very famous editor, and he probably was like the greatest American or greatest editor that ever lived. And apparently he did suggest a lot of the structural stuff. Um hmm. So, you know, there was there was an influence there in terms of like, you can expand this or you can cut this out or some some structural help. But um, I don't know, man, I think there's some there's something about the the intelligence or the wisdom of Fitzgerald. Like this is just this is so clearly based on knowing these people or knowing people like this and capturing their awfulness in exactly the right way. Um, Right. It's, it, you know, so you're, you're drawn into their world and you're, it's, it's a world of exciting, dazzling things, but it's so sad and it's so pathetic and, and, and desperate in a way that just, it's, I mean, those scenes of every drunken party, I, I don't know, man, like, the, you know, the fact that Fitzgerald probably drank too much in his life is probably is obvious. <laughs> probably. Yeah, because, I mean, Jesus, he has a way of like... And then we were all having fun, but he describes these drunken scenes and they're just so sad and tragic. And they're, they just, it feels like every bad night where too many people have been right. drinking too much. So, like I found myself in those situations and I just, he nails it. It's So oh. let me jump on that for a second, because while I was walking around thinking about this book today, this book is about to be a hundred years old. Yeah. A hundred years old. And that. Uh, description of the party I mean it could be now so uh, the mm-hmm. opening of chapter 3 is a description of um, one of the parties and obviously other than there being a fucking live orchestra invite me please uh, <laughs> it is it's incredible alright so I'm gonna read it the lights grow brighter as the earth lurches away from the sun and now the orchestra is playing yellow cocktail music and the opera of voices pitches a key higher Laughter is easier minute by minute, spilled with prodigality, tipped out at a cheerful word. That's so good. The groups Mm. change more swiftly, swell with new arrivals, dissolve and form in the same breath. Already there are wanderers, confident girls who weave here and there among the stouter and more stable. Become for a sharp, joyous moment the center of a group, and then, excited with triumph, glide on through the sea change of faces and voices and color under the constantly changing light. Suddenly, one of the gypsies, in trembling opals, seizes a cocktail out of the air, dumps it down for courage, and moving her hands like Frisco, dances out alone on the canvas platform. A momentary hush, the orchestra leader varies his rhythm obligingly for her, and there's a burst of chatter as the erroneous news goes around that she's Gilda Gray's understudy from the Follies. The party yeah. has begun. <laughs> I mean, it's so good. That is how women, young women and girls still operate at parties. I mean, it's like reading a description of the parties I went to in college. And that this, well, it's amazing. But it's also the the uh, the vapid nature of celebrity or the proximity to danger that yeah. is celebrity too or that is fame. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the the reason that this endures, the reason that Leonardo DiCaprio made that movie and Jay-Z did the soundtrack is that people have been trying to be that guy. Like they don't realize that Gatsby's a tragic figure. <laughs> <laughs> they they want to be the person who throws the best party and have the best people come there. I I tell you, every year 
during Coachella, I think about The Great Gatsby. Because every year during Coachella, there are these huge parties that happen here in Palm Springs where I live. And where people just want to go to say that they were there. It's not that they know anyone that's involved. It's not that they even care about the party. It's that, oh my God, um, Kanye's going to be there. Or, you know, Kim's going to be there. And all these people flock to this place to be somewhere near this person that they never do see. And I'm like, why didn't, did did no one understand this book? (laughs) Do any of you see what's happening? Um, Yeah, that's that's why I didn't see the movie, because it it seemed to me like, I mean, I'll have to watch it now, but it seemed to me to be making exactly the wrong thing by doing, by, by creating a spectacle out of the parties. And, you know... I mean, I hate Baz Luhrmann to begin with, so I, I figured I was going to hate the movie no matter what. But oh, but it seems so terrible. backwards to to make selling the movie like this spectacle out of all the parties and the. I was like, the the whole point is that they're the saddest parties in the world, right. and like the whole point is the 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 missing interiority, and that's what a novel can do. Um, um, like there, sh- there really shouldn't be a movie of Great Gatsby to begin with. Like it can only be a novel because that's the the whole point is so like there, there's been um there's been four versions right so there's the first version which was a gangster movie then there was huh. the robert redford version then there was a version that was on a and e that was like a four-hour movie that was actually pretty good and then there was the leonardo dicaprio spectacle which was yeah i've never seen a single one horrible I've seen I've seen all of them. So I think I've <laughs> been is, disappointed in unique ways by each. This is a good time to go to your theory, Todd, in a second. But before we get off this topic of vapid partygoers, I just wanted to point out one of the most amazing pieces of comedic dialogue I have ever read, which is two women yes. crying because they have their husbands are making them leave. And one says, we're always the, the first ones to leave. And the other one says, so are we. That is the best <laughs> thing I have ever read. I don't think I ever caught it before now. I just, that's just so brilliant. All right. So is it a crime novel? Yeah. Yes. No. What is the evidence? <laughs> well, I mean, this is not, this is not an unusual uh, statement for me to make because I've made it somewhere else in print. But the the thing that really um, compelled me about The Great Gatsby when I read it even initially when I was a young person um, was that it, I mean, it's it's the setup of every noir novel that's ever existed. It is mm-hmm. a dupe, uh, a femme fatale, um, a violent guy, and a grifter. <laughs> totally. And totally. It, it falls along all the exact same beats. Um, and there's even the, you know, the, the no honor among thieves ending where no one shows up to the funeral and Nick goes to see Wolfsheim and Wolfsheim's like, you know, I made him, you know, I mean, he literally says he's a made guy, um, which is, you know, what they call gangsters. And Wolfsheim, of course, is is based on a famous gangster whose um, story has been told a million times, which is, uh, uh, what's his name, Rothstein. Um Oh God, Arnold Rothstein, um, who basically was the king of gambling and um, bringing in alcohol in the 1920s, um, but just a, a straight up gangster. Um, and so, like the this idea that this is the great American novel has always interested me because it is a novel about a crook. You know, it's about it's about an imposter. Um, it's about someone pretending to be someone that they are not. And then there's the whole. Very strange, and this is the first time I ever paid attention to it, um, description of how Gatsby gets Daisy. Did you get, 
you know where he says like he took her even though she was a nice girl jay's i mean i know you read read this thing it's a very strange description of how they began to fall in love after a month and it, it is a very noir description where essentially like you know he he took her even though you know she was a nice girl and you know ostensibly it seems like maybe it was by force like we don't really know hmm. um but the this idea that this is the great american novel and it's because it's about criminals and it's about people getting over on society um and that ends with a a guy without morals dead in a pool I, that says something about america right like if this is the great american novel it's not about hope and freedom it's about getting oh, yeah. away with it right or trying to get away with it whatever it might be so that's that's just or something how I've can always you be rich about. how can you achieve the american dream in america you know like how right. we all have this elusive american dream and and gatsby is this figure who's chasing it for a romantic reason right like he has to have money in order to get daisy so he's willing to do whatever it takes to get it um right but you know everybody else I mean, rich people really don't look good in this this book. You know? <laughs> Nobody, everybody's pretty awful, and 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 wealth seems to be the source of their awfulness. Like, you know, so much of this book seems to be saying that just by achieving the American dream, you you inherently by participating in the system, you know, you're 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 contributing to your own moral decay. That there's going to be something hollow about you at the end of that journey if you're wealthy. Um, right. And I, I mean, I th- I find that to be pretty true. <laughs> like, I, I think that's pretty profound. You know, interestingly, like no one who's a success in this book is really a success because of art. You know, they're right. all like they're all cheaters. Like even the, the athlete in the book, Jordan Baker turns out to be, you know, essentially a cheater. Like they oh, yeah. he implies that she probably cheated her way to her success. Right. And then you have like Tom and Daisy sort of representing this like old money ensconced, you know, the, the Trumps of the world. Um, and Tom, I, I mean, I just love that Tom is like, pretty much a, he's, he's a supposedly a smart guy. I mean, they all went to like Yale or whatever, but right. like, I just love that he keeps talking about the books he's reading and what's science. And it's all like this racist garbage or like right. yeah. these horrible ideas that he just keeps. And I love how the book is so dismissive of Tom's actual knowledge, you know? And then like, I love that beat too. When they, when, when they, when he is first in Gatsby's mansion and he runs into the owl-eyed guy in the books and the in the library and the owl-eyed mm-hmm. character is like the books are real. Can you believe this guy? He not only has a library but he has real books in his library. Well, and, and you're like, and "Oh, I think right. The, it's all a fraud." The other, the other thing about Gatsby himself is that he actually went to war. You know, like right. he's the one who actually went out there and defended the American dream. So like this is towards he's the, the he's the self-made man, right? right. He's the American dream, but he ha- he could only do it by being a criminal, and so, he could only you know his his only goal his his motivating factor was the love of this woman. Like he still wanted to, leave. yeah. So, it's, firstly, it's tragic. I never noticed, or I never put this together because these didn't cross over. But I'm just now realizing that Mad Men is straight ripoff. Don Draper's back- yep. backstory is Gatsby's backstory. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's the yes. same. But, uh, <laughs> Was that ever in question? I just never thought of it before now. So uh, anyway, this is a novel. Like, it doesn't surprise me that this is a great American, uh, the, the great American novel, because it's about passing. And that's the great American dream. Right. Is I'm passing so into another class. So true, I'm yeah. passing into another group. Yep. I can code switch into this other thing. Um, and yep. You know, it reminds me of this theory that I had heard and then was researching today, and it 
that holds very little water, but apparently a lot of <laughs> English teachers have inserted the wrong idea to their students' brain that Gatsby was secretly Jewish um, <laughs> and that he's passing into this wasp class. Um, but in the text, it's more seems like he's just of German descent from North Dakota, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. But it doesn't, mm-hmm. it kind of well, almost Well, I mean, the last name Gats is... It's a pretty Jewy name. <laughs> right. And his association with this gangster, et cetera. With, with Wolfsheim, yeah. Um, but it almost mm-hmm. doesn't matter what his secret backstory is because he could be anyone passing into this world and that's the tragedy of it. Um, it is right. fascinating. Like, you can map that story onto so many stories that he feels like he's owed something, that he feels like he's owed this love of his life, that he can win her with money and nice shirts um love that shirts (laughs) oh yeah Mm. um you you know though one thing that i think is interesting is is the sort of comparison of the great gatsby with great expectations um Mm -hmm. they are very similar books um obviously great expectations is longer and uh, and you know goes from when pip is just a boy to you know his adulthood but the main thrust of it of you know this fake life to win over a woman with a secret benefactor and you know all these things and it ends of course in ruin um for everybody um is essentially the same story i mean it's a story that gets told time and time and again right? right um but i'm i wonder if the two of them together in in their um their lasting durability in the consciousness of uh, of art has something to do with the idea that you can't get away with it. Um, that if, if you really want to be good, you're eventually you're going to be caught. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, like there's I a think, morality to that. I right? certainly think that's the morality presented in both of those novels, but it's almost like Americans want to have it both ways, you know, and we see this with our celebrities. It's like, we want that aspirational story so bad, but the average American like can't stand the happy ending. <laughs> it needs to see this undercut and these people punished um, for their success because, you know, we can't all have that. And that's, I feel like that's why the ending is satisfying in a way is like, what's better than becoming a rich wasp? Ooh, a, great dramatic death where you lose it all and no one comes to your funeral um if Uh if it ended with gatsby and daisy being like we love each other and actually let's get back to that in a minute um and floating away we'd be like oh what a cheesy ending you know it's the fact that he loses that makes the novel feel good to us as americans it's that moment when tom and daisy are seen through the window by nick and Tom has his hand over Daisy's hand, and they don't look like they're in love. They look like they're conspiring. Mm-hmm. And you realize that, like, oh, this is a relationship built on two vapid people who want to keep their station in life, irrespective of the dead people. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Like, we, we haven't really talked about how awful Daisy is. You know, I mean, that's yeah. like... <laughs> You know, yeah. that the, the, Gatsby ends up dead and the whole situation ends up the way it is because he, you know, has really misplaced his romantic aspirations. Yes. I mean, he's fallen <laughs> in love with this woman <laughs> and decided that the only way to get her is to. And, I, you know, something that really struck me reading at this time, I, I loved the way 
Uh, Fitzgerald obsesses over the way Daisy's voice sounds. Oh, yeah. And he keeps describing her voice and the way she sings as like this beautiful. And I realized, oh, it's, she's a siren. She's like a mermaid, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. And then at one point, I think he, they do say, oh, we finally figured out what it is about her voice. It's the voice of money. It's that yeah, she has money in her money. voice. It's like this crazy, and I had kept writing down notes. I was like, why is he obsessed with her voice? Why? And then it, like, yeah, that's when it, hit, it really brings that message home is that she is this sort of romantic siren, you know, singing, you know, alluring Gatsby to his death, you know, luring him into this American dream or this corrupted version of the American dream um, that makes him an awful person. And then we haven't really, really talked about Nick as a character. He's, it's the perfect narrator. I, I don't think right. I've ever read a book with a better narrator because he's, he's, he has, he's perfectly passive, right? Like he doesn't actually influence many of the events of the book or any of the events. He's a dupe, like you were saying, Todd. And yet, you know, his, he does have a very conscious journey from the first opening of the book where he's like, uh, you know, I have privilege. I can't judge anybody. <laughs> like, yeah. He's basically like a good guy. He's like, I'm I'm an honest dude. And but I know, that, you know my dad always told me, don't judge anybody. But he's not, of course. But at the end, you know, where he ends up is is he, he falls at a place of judgment. Like, he's mm-hmm. basically yeah. like, no, my my cousin sucks. And, you know, he's able to say, like, to, to Gatsby, that the last words he says, you're, you're better than all of these people. You know, you're... You're the best of all of them. And you, you know, you're trying so hard to pass, basically. But if you just were yourself, if you just were a good person and, you know, didn't didn't try and pretend to be something you weren't, you'd be fine. Um, you know, all of your problems stem from trying to trying to be like these awful people. Um, and that's like an amazing journey that that Nick makes throughout this throughout this novel. It's 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 subtle, but it's there. I think actually the last thing Nick says to him was thanks for breakfast. Is that, like, that's, oh, okay. that's his literal last line is like, hey man, thanks for the breakfast. That was good. Um, <laughs> am I making that up? I think that's actually true. Maybe. I just know that there's the key moment where he says, you're better, you're yeah. worth more than all of them, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I think he does actually, like the last scene they have together, I think Nick's like, all right, bro, thanks for the breakfast. That's real. Oh yeah. Yeah, here it is. In my book, it's page 162. Goodbye, I called. <laughs> I enjoyed breakfast, Gatsby. That's <laughs> that's his that's his last line to him. Every time you say nice. something dumb like that to someone you know, remember that's the last thing you might yeah. say to them. Could be the um, last thing. I I really want to go back to Daisy here because I feel like sure. you guys are doing Daisy a little dirty. I I understand that she is shallow and conspiring, but I mean. This for me was a case of like, I could read this book every five years and where I am in my life affects how I read the book. So, you know, this book takes place two years after women were given the right to vote. She is completely considered property by every guy in this book. Everybody. Um, Yeah. And she is making survival level choices. Um, We know that Tom is abusive. He breaks Myrtle's nose like page two or something. Right. Um, and scary. Yeah. You know, he's a scary character. He's painted as kind of a buffoon, but he is frightening. He's violent. Yeah. Um, but the the, 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 the the condemnation of Daisy really stems from the fact that she could a- admit that she was driving the car, right? Right. I mean, she, that's the, that's the failing at the, at the end of the book that really brings everybody to where they are is that if she just admitted I was the one driving the car or stopped the car, um, right. But she doesn't. She hides. Um, That's why she's a femme fatale. Right. Well, and right. I just think the scene 
that popped out at me this time. Uh, it's the big climactic argument where um, Tom and Gatsby are arguing over her. And let me see if I can yes. grab it really quickly. But I can't. But oh it, it's fantastic. But they're basically each trying to get her to say who she loves more. And right. she's just right. so, she says the words, um, but she's so reluctant. It really made me feel for her. You know, I, mm-hmm. there's no yeah. winning. Any yeah. choice she makes is wrong. So why not save her own life, you know, by yeah. going back yeah. with her abuser? Like, think of it in those terms. Like, I can protect myself. Right. I can go back with my abuser and, like, use my money to vanish to the West or Europe or wherever they go. Right. And I think that's really fascinating to read it with that lens of, like, there's people – there's no freedom for her ever. It's just who's right. who's she going to go with, you know? There's no yeah. happy ending for Daisy. No, I mean, Daisy's life – that you know, if, if you play it out to the end, Daisy was going to end up like Miss Havisham, you know? Like, she's going to be sitting in a mansion by herself, mourning the loss of the people that she loved through her own indifference, her own lack of taking um, action in the last scene. Like, okay, so she could change her entire life if she said that she was driving. Right. But she doesn't. Yep. Yeah. That's heady shit. And I will (laughs) say, like, there's always the cool blonde at the party, and that's Daisy in this book. But Jordan has got to be one of the most amazing female characters in literature oh she's great so into jordan baker um athletic dishonest kind of mean a gossip but still very likable i don't know to me jordan baker is the flapper in my mind when i think of this whole era totally um i love that so there's this description of her right towards the end um so this is in my book it's page 185 There is one thing to be done before I left, an awkward, unpleasant thing that perhaps had better have been let alone. But I wanted to leave things in order and not just trust an obliging and indifferent sea to sweep my refuse away. I saw Jordan Baker and talked over and around what had happened to us together and what had happened afterward to me, and she lay perfectly still listening in a big chair. She was dressed to play golf, and I remember thinking she looked like a good illustration. Her chin raised a little jauntily her hair the color of an autumn leaf her face the same brown tint as the fingerless glove on her knee it i mean that's so amazing she looked like a good illustration is like like that's it like you just hit save and then you stop writing for the rest of your life and then and not only is that perfect on its own but the illustrations and like art in this period was so specific and amazing that i can see the cover of the magazine that had this illustration on it. Yeah. Oh, yep. God, it's so good. Yes, we should all. I was thinking earlier today, I was like, this is the book that makes me never want to even try to write and just read the good books over and over instead. It also makes me want to wear a lot of linen. Like, I, I need to get more linen. Yeah, and some flannel. Just wear that. Flannel suits. Yeah. I also want to. And drink more gin, right? We should yeah. all be drinking gin and whiskey. Yeah, and I want to I want to get a giant billboard that I look at for metaphor whenever I need to. <laughs> so here here's the thing that I thought about a little bit as I was reading it again is is how often wrong my English teacher was <laughs> about uh-huh. what was important and why we should pay attention to it. Like how many fucking weeks did we spend talking about that fucking 
billboard. Dr. DJ Eckelberg. Right. The yes. eyes. Yeah. Ugh. Like, we get it. If you don't get it, you're a moron. <laughs> Which reminds me of my... Well, it's actually stated pretty clearly in the yeah, book, right? It's, it's like, yeah. we, the eyes of God. They're like, well, they're not the eyes yeah. of God. They're the eyes of the advertising gods next door. You know, right. it's like very, pretty basic. Yeah, yeah. it's right uh, there. But like, I, now maybe it's because time works differently when you're 15. But in my mind, it's like three weeks. We were like, okay, what the what do the eyes stand for? We get it. Yeah. And we so much discussion of motif was had in this book, as, as though motif were going to be the thing that that led us to solve cancer. <laughs> Just so much motif talk. Yeah. Well, you talk oh, well. so much shit, but you did become a writer, and you <laughs> you are a literary critic. So right. somewhere along the way, you you did pick up skills. So maybe maybe yeah. your English teacher deserves more credit than you're giving them. <laughs> Well, surely Miss Kane does get credit for for a lot of these things, um, but oh god, it was just a, it was so much. I, I mean, maybe this is what you need when you're 16. Maybe people are different now and they understand symbolism better. I don't know. No, I think it's a great intro. I mean, I remember getting intro to symbolism in seventh grade specifically, but oh man, guys, a memory just flashed into my mind when I was reading this out loud to Greg. We were on a walk at the one of the Dr. T.J. Eckelberg parts and I made him walk by an eyeglasses store with like a big sign of a person with glasses and I took a picture of him in front of it. it oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Made me laugh. Oh god. So something else I learned uh, today about The Great Gatsby and that our listeners may not know is that if you have Spotify, which I know many of our listeners do, I think our, I don't know if our podcast is on Spotify, maybe it is. Um, there are free audiobooks on Spotify. Cool. Including The Great Gatsby, as read by Michael Shannon, who's a really good person Ooh. to read it. Awesome. Um, because I had I had to run some errands. I was like, oh, I don't want to not hear this little part that I was just reading. Um, so if you want to go on a nice two and a half hour car ride with Michael Shannon, Reading the Great Gatsby, it's on Spotify for free, which it's is it's not badass. that short. I just want to say it's four and a half hours. I looked at some audiobooks too. I don't want you to lie. <laughs> don't. I also want to. Um, I. Go ahead. I, wa- I want to reread Tender is the Night. Have you guys, either of you, read that? I've never read it. Not in years. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember it's much longer and it's much messier. But it's similar in that it's like rich people, and that in that case, I think they're you know traipsing around Europe. But it's it's rich people being awful and cheating on one another. Um, and I remember really liking Tender as the Night. I actually, at, you know, in my early twenties, thought it was better than than Great Gatsby. But maybe that was just because I wanted to be the guy who liked Tender as the Night better than Great Gatsby. You definitely yeah. no were that guy. Actually, is that much better? <laughs> um. <laughs> So we've only got a couple minutes left because the three of us need to go watch the Democratic debates. Um, but here's here's my last question for, for both of you. In fact, before I go watch the Democratic debates, why this book? Why this book for a hundred years? Why hasn't there been something that has defined the American experience that isn't this book in such a way? Why this book? Why did it capture and still captures the imagination of people around the world? Um, I, I have lots of theories, but I think that, 
you know, I think, I think like all the things that we've hit on, like the idea, the, the, the commentary on the American dream, the, the passing factor, which everybody feels right. Like everybody feels in America, like we're, we're passing in some capacity or we're pretending because we're all obsessed with class elevation. So that, and then there's this, there's this profound sadness that I think runs through a lot of great American literature, you know, revolutionary road, there's all this sort of marriage, suburban, you know, we have money, but there's, we have a hollow life sadness that runs and this book captures that, but it, but it does so like you, like you pointed out, Todd, in the context of a crime story, like it's actually mm. a good plot. It's a very tight plot. And, um, and I think that that separates it from the pack, um, in that, you know, a seventh grader can read this, a high schooler can read this and enjoy just the plot. Cause you have to kind of know right. like, Oh my God, they hit that girl. Who's going to find out there's a gun. What, you know, it's like actually, and, and all the parties are exciting. Like it has just enough of the sort of danger and sexiness. Um, but then it has all that thematic resonance of, of that, that, that a lot of great American books do, but are, that, but are longer and not as, um, and, and not as entertaining. This book is is tight and entertaining and and well written, uh, but then and it has all that of, thematic resonance. But it's also devoid of any race other than white people, right? So <laughs> let me completely devoid. Let me. Uh, well, there is commentary on racism, though. There's definitely commentary yeah. with you oh, know within sure. the book. I mean, Tom is 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 mocked by the book for his his superior race conversations. Yes, and yes. side note, I love the line that's like it was less surprising that. Tom was having an affair than that he had read a book and thought about it. Uh, <laughs> that yeah, is I mean, a also, is it the black person close. that leads to their downfall? It is, it is the only black character. That's, the only know, black Tom. character in the book is the one who says it was a yellow car. Isn't it the reason yeah. they all know it's a yellow car is because the one black character mm-hmm. in the book says that? Am I? Yeah. yeah. So p- plays the pivotal role in bringing down Gatsby. Oh, God, Jesus. <laughs> so here's my answer, Todd, um, because I read this book and I hope my professor. Oh, my God, I'm going to send him this episode. So I read this book in college, you know, a million years ago during a course called The Great American Novel. And I can remember almost every book on the syllabus right now. Um, and I'll tell you what the other ones were. Um, they were Beloved, um, which is these all these books are masterpieces but you know that one kind of they all present a case for what america is or what the Mm -hmm. american novel is so beloved it's like this legacy of absolute violence um against black people and slavery it's amazing everyone go read it uh we read huckleberry finn which is also about the legacy of slavery and grappling with the moral you know moral calculation of like who's the lowest status in society and how do we help them but Huck Finn is listen I spent a lot of years dedicated <laughs> my life dedicated to that book oh, right. but it's really right. messy you know it doesn't present a coherent answer or narrative it's just Huck's literally getting on and off the raft looking at different moral ideas um there's also the sound and the fury which is about like corruption and lying and families just and trauma and all that stuff clocks and race again and race um so much time we didn't read the Mm. this in that class i think but moby dick is about like us as americans like raping and destroying and exploiting the land um right and and on and on and all of these other books are so 
they're about these huge systems that are so hard, like painful, emotionally painful to comprehend. And The Great Gatsby is about individual loneliness and saying like, that's Mm. what being an American is, is being like a lonely man or a lonely woman. And no matter how surrounded you are by people, I mean, it's all contained in the like, I love big parties. They're so intimate line. That's so famous. Um, (laughs) Yeah. That's what Gatsby is about. Mm. Gatsby is about being alone. And like, that is so much easier as an American to be like, yes, that is what it is. You know, aspiration and loneliness. That's what this country is. Not, not the fact, not this legacy of slavery or not these, like incest and trauma and violence. And of course, those are all right under the surface in Gatsby. But in Gatsby, we just get to look at the surface and like deal with the surface. And so my theory is like, that's all we can handle as a culture for a sustained period of time. And all those other novels are very deserving. But we can't, we can't like, it. Gatsby feels so modern. It feels like it will always yeah. be true. It's it's about the it's about the, the the emphasis we all feel to be individuals, right? Like we all want to be individualists, rugged individuals who think for ourselves and make pull ourselves up by our bootstraps right. and make all of our money. And this book just shows how impossibly sad and and tragic that desire is, and how it's 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 completely useless. I mean, but we all feel it, right? So we can all identify with these characters, with Nick or with Gatsby or with everybody as trying to you know, be this rugged individual who changes history and makes the most amount of money or has the biggest party. I love that moment when he talks about rigging the World Series and he realizes yes. like, oh, that guy, he rigged the World Series. Yeah, and Wolf Nick time. just has this moment of like, <laughs> I'd never thought of like historical events like rigging the 1919 World Series could be done by one person. You know, like this book is all about how we try and contend with like great men and great works of history and great accomplishments. And we we have a hard time squaring that with our experiences, lonely individuals, very aware of our own shortcomings and failings. And how do we live up to the ideal of being a successful individual in America and achieving the American dream? And we're doomed for failure. And I think we can all relate to that at every level. You know, right. and I just remembered one more book that was I read in this class that I, there's one more thing about Gatsby is that their rise is is mostly an individual achievement, although Daisy and Tom are old money, but their fall is also their own fault. And that is like, Mm -hmm. that's very Mm -hmm. satisfying. It's not like some system brought them down. So the book I just remembered was The House of Mirth by Edith Wharton. Um, Another amazing book is about a very relevant book to our current historical moments about a woman who like falls into poverty and just cannot get out. Um, she just mm. can't rise back to the class she was because of systems in my memory, which could be completely wrong. Gatsby's all, it's like places each level of blame on each person. Um, mm. And it doesn't mm. argue on any level like, you know, class did this or anything like that. It's just like, no, yeah. it's all, it's mm. all bad choices. Every single, yep. I mean, this book is perfect example of the, the dictum of, man cannot walk away from the consequences of his actions as being, you know, the essence of what drama is. So every single one of these people, uh, male or female, man being mankind in this case, makes decisions that it's impossible for them to walk away from. And that ripples out into the furthest reaches of the book. And that ends up with, you know, a man with a gun in the end, showing up and shooting the guy. 
Um, which I think, you know, the, it, it, the, the one thing that I, we didn't really talk about, and I'll just mention just very briefly, is that there's also a fair amount of satire in The Great Gatsby. And so for me, I think that bit of satire is, is also the connective tissue of why we're able to continue to read this, because he's mocking these people while also showing them as being glamorous. Just like, you know, all, all the great lines about, you know, the intimacy of a party and all these things. It's like, it's, they're pointing out the, the stupidity of these people. Um, but we're the only people that seem to be in on the joke. And I think that's very satisfying too. Like you want to be able to point at the super wealthy or the powerful and just be like, oh, you're a moron. Yeah. Like today, for instance, on Twitter, I I called Kevin Sorbo a skin tag. That was very satisfying to me. <laughs> so maybe Gatsby has endured. I think you're right, Todd. Yes, laugh at your own petty wins. No, I was laughing at writer's horror. (laughs) I wasn't laughing at my joke. I was laughing at writer's abject horror. Um, But I think think maybe the reason, maybe it's as simple as Gatsby goes on because you enjoy it, whether you're in on the joke and you're laughing at the punching up that's happening, or if you just love... Or if you are the joke, you also love right. it. If you're rich, yeah. cool, American psycho level bro, you also love it. <laughs> right? And that's the yeah, answer. Yeah, it's for yeah. everybody. It works on both levels. Yeah, laughing at, laughing true. with. Well, good call, Ryder. Good job yeah, picking this book. Read. I think kids will really like it. The summer kids, read The Great Gatsby and then... Come into junior it is a, year. It is a good lame. summer read, actually. It's a great like because you could read it on two beach, two beach sittings. Yeah, two two sittings by the pool with a with a cocktail, with a fancy cocktail. Wow, I that... mean, or like a Pepsi if you're 19 or something. Right. Sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> or Todd, some THC suddenly moral. In California. Suddenly moral, Todd. I, don't I know, know it's happened. weird. I don't know what's happening to me. It's, it might be an illness. <laughs> Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening.